Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Full Service Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon. This is Pierre Vigilance, and you are on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. This is the Junctional Thinking Podcast, and a bit of a transitional show today. Um, uh, sort of some uh, goodbye to the end of the first season, and uh, hello to the start of the second one in a, in a few short weeks. Um, as those of you who have been listening to the show before know, this is a place where we get to talk about this junction, which is the intersection between health and just about everything. My career path has taken me through a whole bunch of different spaces from medical school to public health education, and then into working in clinical space for a little bit, then on into government, and then into academia, and now into advisory consulting. And along that journey, I've come to really understand that nothing in health can really be done solely by the health sector. Um, That the work to actually improve health outcomes is going to need to be done by people who are upstream of those health issues, housing, transportation, economic development, education, etc. A whole bunch of different places and spaces. And that's why we have great guests join us on this show who are from those different places and spaces. And the junction that you might hear me talking about is this place where all of those things or some of those things sort of intersect and being able to be functional at the junction, function at the junction, I think that's a song, and be able to be functional at the junction is something that's really important, not only for, no matter where you are in your career. So I'm, I'm really happy. I'm happy every week that, because my guests are amazing people, but I'm very happy to be Closing out this season, talking about another season with a, with a season-oriented guest who knows a lot about different types of season because he's another football fan. Football round ball, not pigskin, although we do appreciate the NFL. We're talking about soccer, the, the world's most loved sport. And I'm joined today by Peter Loge, who is a bunch of different things. It's Professor Peter Loge, to those of you who know him from the GW School of uh, Public Affairs. He is an author to some of you, the author of Soccer Thinking for Management Success, available on, on Amazon. Um, he is uh, a strategic consultant. He's, um, he is a, a baller. I call him a baller. He wouldn't refer to himself as a baller. He's called himself a football player, but he's a baller, and he's a gooner, meaning he's a fellow Arsenal fan. So it's early in the season, and we're undefeated, so we, we feel good about ourselves right now. But Peter, thank you so much for joining me in the studio. Thanks, thanks for having me on. I, I love that this is the, the end of season one, so this is the cliffhanger. This yeah. is the cliffhanger, right? Leave them in suspense at the end of this. Absolutely. And, you know, we get to talk about, you know, how brilliant Arsenal are going to be. <laughs> and we can leave that alone until the winter break in January. See how we do. See how we're doing at that time of annual demise for us. I think that sounds about right. That sounds yeah, about right. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, thanks for coming on. So, now, you've managed to sort of figure out a way to blend this world of a few different worlds professionally. So, you, you're... you're history we've worked in media policy um and and in this sort of space of now management consulting and helping organizations do better in the way they do their business but weaving the soccer part of it in there 
is, I think, brilliant. It makes a whole lot of sense because there's a lot of great analogies there. So, but where did that come from and why, why is that sort of your, your gem, your thing? Uh, That's a good question. I've, as you said, I've done a number of different things, uh, largely in politics, senior staff positions in the House and the Senate and the Obama right. administration, run organizations, that sort of thing. And like a lot of people, I learned about management probably a year or two too late. Right. Okay. Okay. You're, you're good at something. So someone says you're good at this. You're now in charge of other people who do this. And right. That, that's a whole different skill set. And at one point, I was um, asked to be the senior VP of a political consulting firm here in Washington. And you always hear stories that that athletes and sports coaches have great management visions. And this, and, and I happen to know Ben Olson, who at the time was playing for DC United. Right. He was high school player of the year, college player of the year, played in the World Cup, played in the Olympics. And I called Ben and said, I've got this. This, this new position, what, do you, what advice do you have? And, and uh, he said the best coaches he had gave him clear and consistent feedback, positive and negative. Right. Right. You know, if you've done something wrong, here's what you did wrong. Here's how you do it better. Do it better next time. If you do something right, that was great. Do it again. Do it differently next time. And I sort of forgot about the conversation. I was then put in charge of, made the first vice president for external relations at the U.S. Institute of Peace. Okay. And I was right, and I was right around the time when Ben was transitioning from playing to coaching. And whenever we'd get together, we would talk about art and we'd talk about management. Uh, we don't talk about soccer because then I'm that guy. Um, so it turns out a lot of the challenges we were facing were, were similar challenges um, about how to bring people together, how to create... Um, how to, how to create an atmosphere in which people can succeed and, and grow together and where feedback is constant and, and that sort of thing. And it grew out of those conversations with Ben. So that's, I mean, and shout out to Ben Olson, DC United, a longtime friend of a, of a, bunch, a lot of different people here in the district, but just an overall good person. Uh, so we appreciate you, Ben, and all that you're doing. And while we're talking about DC United, should we be talking about... Mesut? Uh, <laughs> Mesut Ozil's coffee? Is Mesut Ozil? Yeah. Is he, is he coming? Is he, I'm sorry for the listener who's sort of like, what just happened? It was a terrible transition. But still. I, I, don't, I don't know. Everything I know about, about DC United, I read in the press. I don't talk to Ben about soccer for the same reason that, that your friends don't call you and say, hey, I was watching you at work on television the other day. That memo you wrote was awful. I need to ask why you use it. I don't, Ben and I talk about art. He's an all art right, guy. All right, all right, we won't, we won't, we won't do that to you, but okay. We'll, we'll, <laughs> you can we'll, do it to me, just don't do it to we'll, Ben. We'll, we'll get there. We'll, well, you know, there's so much in there. But, so, but this bit about sort of the, the learning part and, right. and what he gave you about sort of how he was, how he was taught. Um, do you find that people sort of say, well, I'm not really a soccer fan. I'm not really into that. So why would lessons from that world or any sports world be applicable to me here in this non-sports space? What do you say to that? that, makes, that that's absolutely the, the right question. That's a very good question. And I would say that soccer is 90 minutes of systems thinking in action, right? right? As right, you set that. up the introduction, we talk about the social determinants of health. Right. How does... Access to public transportation, quality, food, uh, safety, right. uh, historical trauma. How does all that affect Absolutely. the health yeah. outcome? And that's kind of hard to wrap your head around, right? right. right. Because social determinants, is that, that's big. Yeah. The same happens in an organization. We've got many moving parts. We have to systemically advance together to leverage our... And suddenly, like, you're, you're in some PowerPoint slide nightmare, right. right? Soccer is a way to think about it and look at it. And I've had a number of people... Uh, buy the book, read the book, and come back and say, you know, I, I bought the book, 
uh, because I, I consult internationally and I wanted to have a better uh, handle of soccer. It's so like, but yeah. what I learned was how to manage. Right. You know, I had uh, a good friend of mine um, who helped with a book that edited some pieces of it is a baseball guy. Okay. Uh, not a soccer guy at all. Not sure he's seen 90 minutes ever, not even, let alone consecutively, <laughs> I think cumulatively. And, and I wanted to make sure the book made sense to him. And uh, it does. And he bought a bunch of copies and gave them to folks at work. Because it's about how you think about operating as a system, right? right? Looking left and right. How do you learn together? How do you grow together? How do you learn on the fly? How do you problem solve in real time? Right. And then also, as Ben learned, um, and as all of us have learned, as you age, how do you have to change how you approach situations? Yes. Right? Uh, there was this terrific piece in The Atlantic probably six or eight weeks ago about... Um, the, the now former president of the American Enterprise Institute, um, saying that you reach a point in your career where you are no longer that hot young thing who can chase everything down. Right. You have to move into the elder statesman role. You have to adjust how you, how you lead, how you manage, how you participate. And you have to let others then play that running role. Ben did this. He went to England, uh, crushed his ankle, and was never the same player again, reinvented his game. And became a more thoughtful player because he had to think about what he was doing more. You saw right. this with Megan Rapino on the U.S. national team in right. the World Cup winning run. Megan's not the player she was when she was in her 20s. Right. She's adjusted her game where she's smarter, knows her role, plays that role, and brings others into the individual game. And then throughout the tournament, helps the younger players deal with the this crazy white-hot spotlight, which is being a World Cup star. So this is interesting because one of the... Um skills, behaviors, and ideals that we talk about in junctional thinking is the idea of being a perpetual learner, right? And that it is insufficient and probably completely inappropriate to not be trying to learn from a number of different sources along the way. You just described, though, for Ben, for example, this scenario where um, an injury forced a change in his... In his, in his movement, right? And the way that he had to play the game. He was still able to play, but he had to change, right? So he had to learn based on a, um, a change in his own physical ability. Do you find, as you talk to um, people at different phases of their career as managers, though, that they may have had the equivalent thing happen or, or technology or something else may have outpaced them, but they're still trying to manage or play the game the way that they were taught the game however long ago. How do you try to un have them unlearn that stoicism or that sort of that obnoxious stuck-in-the-mud thing? I think part of it is the learning. It's, the, it's a level of humility, right? right? In, right. in management, you can kind of hide your faults and people will be nice to you because you can give them a promotion or whatever. But on a <laughs> soccer field, you can't hide slow. No. You know, at some point, you adjust or you sit. No, no. Right? And one of the things that's changed I've seen in, in politics and how, how politics gets managed is that it used to be an era of information scarcity, right. right? And this is certainly true with data. This is certainly true with public health. Right. Very few people had access to all the information. They controlled the information and determined what would happen next. It was iterative, right? But now there's information overload. Everybody can learn and know everything. In the public health space, you've got apps connecting people to all sorts of things. Right. Right. You're the, you've got one of those on your wrist. Yeah. And if yeah. your doctor tells you something, you're going to check your wrist to see if that's right. right. And you're going to tap it to your computer and then see what your peer group is doing. Right. Now, if your doctor's clever, your doctor's going to say, this is great. Here's how we manage that information. Right. You are now in charge. Right. The doctors that don't do that 
they're, they're eventually going to fade away. That ha- that's what happens to managers. Because they're missing some data. Because they're missing it. The, the learning piece is also really critical. One of my favorite lines from the book comes from Mary Harvey, mm-hmm. who is the goalkeeper for the uh, first Women's World Cup winning team. Uh, the U.S. was favored, final game. Right before halftime, it was, it was 0-0. Mary and one of her defenders miscommunicate, and Mary lets in a soft goal. The U.S. goes into halftime down one nothing. It was her fault. She knew it was her fault. The fans knew. Everybody knew it was her fault. The question wasn't, at halftime, who do we blame? It's, how do we move forward? Right. And in the book, Mary says, I can't recall the single thing I learned from winning. Oh. And she's gone on to reinvent herself as a Deloitte consultant, one of the highest-ranking women at FIFA, and now runs a global international human rights organization. Because she knows, I'm going to make a mistake. I need to learn from the mistake. I need to adjust in the moment. You are hearing some wisdom from Peter Loge, author of Soccer Thinking for Management Success. Uh, this is the Junctional Thinking Podcast on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Pierre Vigilance. And that comment just now about learning from the mistake, I think that the next bit to it is learn from the mistake, and I'll add the word quickly. Yes. Meaning, you know, to sort of, fester, sit in it and sort of lick the wound for an extended period of time sets you up for some bad infection, basically, that's not going to let you get back in the game quickly. And you have to do that and be willing to do that with some speed and and nimbleness. Um, What is it in your experience that helps people as they make mistakes in work, right, get back on the horse proverbially quickly? I think part of it is as managers, everybody says, fail fast, you'll learn from right, failure. Right, right. And the moment somebody makes a mistake, as a manager, you punish that person. Stop doing that. Right. Right. If somebody makes a mistake, pull them aside in that moment right. and say, what do you think worked? What do you think didn't work? I did this when I was at the U.S. US Institute of Peace. Mm-hmm. There was a, a relatively junior staffer who was running an event. It wasn't a high-profile event. It was important, but not, you know, we weren't heads of state, weren't coming in. And he ran the event, and I was playing a role in it. At the end of it, I went to his manager, and I said, i got to tell you, I think that was kind of a train wreck. May I talk to your staffer about it? Because I don't want a big foot, right? You don't want to march in over his head. She said, sure. You know, we talked about it. And I pulled the kid aside and, and said, so how do you think that went? He told me. I said, okay, here's why I think it went badly. Here's what you can do better next time. You're in charge of the event next year. I look forward to participating next year. Right. So acknowledge the mistake. Right. Here's not just... You were bad, right? On a field, you and I have both played the game, and people yell at us, pass better or run faster. Dude, if I could run faster, I'd be running faster. It's not like it didn't occur to me to do that. But it's here specifically is what you can do differently next time, which is more insight from from Olsen. And then give them another chance. Right. So let me pivot really quickly, though, because that person has to also be willing to take that other chance. And that's something that... You know, I've had the pleasure of being able to interact with a lot of learners over the years, and they've all taught me a great deal. One thing I've learned from them, especially, I don't even want to put an age on it, but especially I'll put a sector on it, people who are coming through masters in public health programs that I've met, and even people who are in public health jobs, I mean, mid, early mid-career professionals, are often resistant to the notion that they need to be the one in charge. 
they need to be the one to to take that mantle of leadership and do something with it next time around. I say, well, I'm not ready. I'm not sure that I can do that just yet. I don't think I have enough experience, etc. The reality from my perspective as a manager was, well, look, I just had a massive budget cut. Um, and or I've got some workforce people, people who are leaving, they're retiring, they're leaving the organization, and we don't have the funds to hire um, somebody else to take their position other than you. We have funds for you, and we can put, and we believe in you, so we'd like for you to do this. And so I'm like, well, no, I'm not sure. How do we help people unlearn that behavior or that sort of mindset or to step up and say, look, it's okay because... You know, I am ready for this. That's a good question. It's one of the things I've learned from the book. I have to tell you, if you want to meet smart people and learn things, write a book. All yeah. the, I, for this book, I talked to current and former soccer players and, and said, you know, teach me things. And had I called them individually, I'm a fan. I would have been put on a list, you know, and right. never heard from again. Oh, true. But if I called them and say, hey, you're really smart. Will you talk to me? I'm writing a book. Yeah. It's astonishing it's who, will, who will talk to open you. Open the door, yeah. And one of the things I learned from, from one of the folks in the book was even if you don't have confidence in yourself, have confidence in the person who's asking you to do it. Yes. Right? So I may not. There have been in a lot of situations where I look at whoever the supervisor is and say, that's not, like, are you sure? Because I'm not up for this. No, no, no. I got confidence. I got your back. Then yeah. I'll give it a shot. And I might blow it, but I know they have my back. Right? right? And I might get better next time. The other piece of this, which also comes from, from soccer rather than from other sports, and I think is, is a helpful way to think about it, is that leadership is distributed. I'll lead in one moment and follow in another. Yes. With the example I just gave, there's this young man, he was worked for somebody who worked for somebody who worked for somebody who worked for me. I mean, some, something like that. But I said, look, this is your event. I will follow. Where do you want me to stand? What do you want me to say? When do you want me to be there? Right. I am now following. It's yours. Yeah. And then we come out of it. I say, okay, it's your event. Here's how you're going to do it better. Right. There'll be other, there was one, we had one moment early on at my tenure at USIP where we had a sort of a, uh, a big thing happen, and a, the vice chair of the board, former assistant secretary of state for Africa, like a serious big deal guy, dropped himself on the other side of my desk and said, what do you need me to do? All right. Yeah. Like, there's no question but who's more important. Ambassador Moose is smarter, more experienced, and more important than I am. But right. in that moment, it was my moment to lead. He said, you are leading now. We went forward. That didn't mean he relinquished power. It meant in that moment, right. in that situation, you know, I was the guy who was directing traffic. You kind of have to trust the, yeah, so you're asking people to trust the people who are putting you in that position right. and know that they probably have something to lose by you failing utterly. So they're not going to put you in that position if that's what they think is going to happen. Absolutely. Um, generally. I think well, it's generally, true to yeah, say I mean, they, they may set you up for failure, and there are going to be bosses who are terrible and jerks, right. and that's you can't yeah. control. So, for but that. generally speaking, but don't be case. that guy, right? Right, be the person who says to someone, "Take a shot. If you're going to fail, that's fine." And then when they fail, because you're going to make a mistake, right? right. They, they happen. Right. Back them up. Yeah, no, no, no. That's that's fair. That's fair, and I think I think quite appropriate. Um, you know, one of the other things that that we talk about a bit and. You know, in, in listening to you and you talk about going and talking to people, you were willing to, you could have, arguably, based on your own experience, written this book based on your knowledge of the game and a couple people who you already knew and your own experiences and put that together. But you chose instead to go out and talk to a bunch of other people to listen to them. What is it that sort of moved you to do that? 
I mean, I know part of it's personality, because I think that's just the kind of person you are, but then what is it that really moved you to go out there to listen to other folks? Um, part of it was, when I was younger, I thought I knew what I was doing, and I, and I didn't. You know, I come by my humility, what little, little of it I have, I came by it honestly. And I, I wanted to, to learn. I, I came to man, I didn't go to school to be a manager. Right? Mm. I didn't come to Washington to be, to be a manager. I came to Washington to work in the Senate. But I wound up a manager, and I needed to do it better. And, and I read a lot and, you know, did the books and all this kind of stuff. But I knew that there were things other people could teach me. I want to, I want to draw this back briefly to the last conversation because we haven't talked about Arsenal in seven, eight minutes. And I, mean, I know yeah, you, I see I was, your hands I was, was going to do, right, do it right after the break. So, yes. We'll yeah. go, go into the break with it. Um, yeah. uh, Arsenal, as you know, has a new center back, David Luiz. Yes. Came in from Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Um, Socrates, one of Arsenal's signings from last year at the back, um, said that when David came, we spoke a lot about how we'll have moments when we struggle, but we have to struggle all together. Okay. And so at Socrates saying, we're going to fail, like, this is one of the top teams in the world, two of the top defenders in the world, saying, we're going to, we're going to be moments of challenge. There are going to be challenges in front of us. Yes. But we're going to face those challenges you and I, together, to move forward together. It's not going to be you're the hero coming in from Chelsea. It's not going to be you're the kid who, or the guy who was you know, aging out of Chelsea. It was you and I together. We're going to have challenges. Together, we're going to tackle those challenges. We're going to talk more about that in a minute because I wonder if Socrates said that <laughs> to the last person <laughs> who was standing next to him as well. Anyway, we'll see. But this has been <laughs> the first segment of... Kishelny uh, is sitting Chris, somewhere reading exactly, this and so they keep... <laughs> cursing at him in French right now. Um, this is Pierre Vigilance, your host of uh, Junk's No Thinking, a podcast on full service radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm here with the author and assistant prof- associate professor Peter Loge talking about things management-oriented, and we will be back from a short break in just a few minutes. Back. This is Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Adams Mor- sorry from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington D.C. Sorry, I got that twisted up. This is Junctional Thinking podcast with Pierre Vigilance, your host, and our guest Peter Loge, fellow Gooner. For those of you who don't know what that means, it's a f- fan of the Arsenal Football Club, the Arsenal Football Club, much like the Ohio State University. Um, but we were just talking a bit about. Um, <laughs> what's, what one of our defenders said when a storied defender from another team just came and joined us. But we've had a number of signings um, during this last um, this, this summer period, and the season just started two weeks ago. Um, there's a lot of optimism, I'd say, around the club right now. New coach, second year as our manager, um, Unai Emery, and um, 
while I don't often really understand much of what he says in English, um, it's uh, it's very interesting to watch how he's speaking his language on the pitch with respect to the team he's putting together, who he sits, who he puts in, when he plays certain players, etc. And um, so I wanted to talk a bit about this the notion of another one of these SBIs, this partnership piece. Right? How do we effectively create partnerships? Now, I know in the public health space that we were talking about earlier on, that could mean that you're doing a lot of conversations with people who are outside of your space, so you should be. But there's a reason why there are not 12 strikers, sorry, 11 strikers on a field or 11 goalkeepers on a field. People have their skills and responsibilities, and yet someone who is a defender may end up providing an assist, right? Someone who is a striker may end up saving a goal, right? These things shift, and we work together. Talk a bit about the partnership piece of, of, of management and of leadership and how you make the connectivity between the game and the real-life bits of it. That's a, that's a good question. Let me start with, with Emery and, yes. and the Gunners um, yeah. and then end in a hospital. If I might. Okay. This is actually, well, as we all do most <laughs> weeks when we're watching <laughs> Arsenal play. Or, or when we play, depending how we get old. Yeah. So um, on Ars blog, which is some of the listeners will know, um, Unai Emery, who's a Basque. Yes. Just, you can't understand it because he's speaking English with a Basque accent via Spanish Basque. or something. Very, yes. Very Basque. Yeah. Uh, he talks about Freddie Lundberg, a legendary gunner, um, one, of the, one of the invincibles. Yeah. And he's now moved from coaching the, some of the youth teams to, to being with Emery in the first team. Correct. And as a part, they make a good partnership, right? Correct. Because you've got somebody with the Arsenal legacy and the new guy yeah. figuring out how, what's the Arsenal way in a way that can advance and move. Knowing the system and playing your role in the system is critical, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. not, my least favorite management advice is stay in your lane. Right. As if in a hospital, the CEO, the nurse, the doc, and the security guys were all sprinting against each other to cure you. Right. Right. They have to work as a unit to do it. Right. One of the people I talked to for the book is Sonia Ruiz Bolaños, yep. who used to run the, the hospital system for Hopkins, I think, globally. And, and she told story, a story of two different hospitals in, in South America she was told to go visit. One was working very well. One was working very poorly. And the one that was working well, the CEO knew everybody. Walked in the front door, knew the front desk guy, yeah. knew, knew the administrative staff, knew the VPs, knew the com- knew everybody. They knew they were valued. He knew their role. They knew each other's role in the system. Hospital hummed. The second hospital was was just a, a train wreck, just very very bad. The CEO would pull into the garage, get into his private elevator, go up to his office, and talk only to his assistant. Mm. Nobody knew this person. Mm-hmm. They didn't know their role. They were, they were individual marbles rattling around a tin can. They were not part of a system. For the hospital to work, everybody has to know their role, everybody else's role, and it works in the system. You see this really well in an operating room where you've got the anesthesiologist, you've got the nurses, you've got right. the surgeon, you've got everybody. Everybody is really good at what they do. Right? Right. I don't want the anesthesiologist cutting me open, and I don't <laughs> want the doc you know, someone like I want the person doing, doing what they're yeah. good at, yeah. but they have to know what everybody else is good at so they can raise a red flag. Hey, you missed this. Hey, what about that? Right. Did you, did you pay attention to this? There's other things going on that you may not know about. And if they need to lend a hand, they have to be good enough to lend a hand. Right. They have to be able to sew a suture. They have to be able to do whatever they know their role. They know everybody else's role. They know how those roles work together to advance the shared outcome of running a hospital, um, you know, replacing a lung, or hopefully making a run at the top four, whatever it right. happens to be. But what is it about 
so I feel like when you're on a team and your place on the team is at stake, you may be willing to, if someone sees something in you, they say, hey, look, you know what? I know you're used to playing right wing. I think that you might actually make a great center back. And if in your mind, though, you're not a center back, you may not be willing to accept that role or position, even though the person who is seeing that for you sort of suggested it's what you do. And I feel like sometimes when I'm talking to people, they say, well, I'm interested in X. I don't see the need to go learn about Y or Z because X is my thing. And I find that I've got to sort of say to them, yeah, but do you see how X is connected to Y and Z? And I get that you may not be interested in those other things maybe in the long term, but you at least having a better knowledge of Y and Z can make you better at X. And, um, and I think in some of the systems that are played on the soccer field, it's, it's if, you, if you watch sort of strategists show you how players are moving without knowing who those players are in different systems, um, they, they play position, but they also play strategy, right? And it's also about sort of, an, and it's about an outcome in moving the ball up and moving the ball to certain people, etc. And I think that if more people thought about their work or their position at work in that way, then maybe they wouldn't think about it like, well, no, I don't need to learn about mental health because I'm an HIV advocate. Well, but there's a there's connection between those two things. And you could be better at one by knowing a bit more about the other. I think you have to be all of those things. I think you have to be, if you want to uh, be an HIV advocate, it makes sense to know about mental health. You want to be careful not to get pulled to be the mental health person. And right. That's, and that's fine. Right. But in a moment... You need to be willing and able to, to fill that role, in part because you are not, you're not a marble in a tin can. You're part of a system right. advancing somebody else's health outcome. Right. Right. If you're a doc because you like the word doctor, like, I don't want to be your patient. Right. I right. need you to care about a different set of outcomes for right. that. And in a moment, you've got to be willing to do everything within that system. In the, not the most recent World Cup, but the one before, Carly, the, in the final, the U.S. was up, I don't know, some crazy amount. Carly Lloyd, star striker, tracks all the way back in something like the 80th minute to make a key defensive play. Because in that moment, that's what was needed of her. If the coach on the sidelines, if Ellis had said, you know, Carly, go back, go back. And Carly's like, no, I'm tired, we're winning. Carly would have spent the rest of the game Sitting on the bench. Oh, and that's and right. And they were ahead. And they were ahead. Right. No, no, no. Different story than I'm thinking about recent example, Wayne Rooney playing for DC right. United, that that ridiculous crushing tackle, and then comes up and throws this sort of cross field ball in for a header and it's done. Um, different story, different scenario, but still he could very well have been like, look, I'm, too, I'm Danny Glover. I'm too old for this. I don't need to, I need to get back there and do this. Wayne but, Rooney, the Danny Glover of world football. <laughs> right, but he didn't. Yeah. And that's the role he, yeah, he for, for a particular outcome, um, which I think right. sort of helped propel them, actually. They ended up making a bit of a run into the playoffs, I think, as a result I, of that. A, a good example of this actually came from uh, the Yale Soccer Conference okay. um, in January, February of 2019. It was an international conference on, on soccer business globally. And it was at the Yale School of Management over a weekend, and the front doors were locked. And um, the guard was late, or there's some mix-up with the guard. And so one of the guys who organized the conference was standing at the front door to make sure that people could get in and out. 
was not this guy's job. This right. guy's job yeah. was running this global conference with people from the Bundesliga, from the Liga, the guy who scored the game-winning goal for, for Argentina in the World Cup, Andres Cantor. Yeah. But what was needed in the moment was someone to open the door. Right. So he sat and he opened the door. Right. It's because he wasn't there to do a task. He wasn't a nine-to-fiver. It was, here's our mission. Here's what this conference is. Here's the outcome we all agree on. It's a right. clear, shared goal. Here are the people we have to pull it off. Here are the roles. Here's how those people can best work together to right. achieve that goal. Let's go. And here's where I need to be in order for that. In this moment. Right. And then, meanwhile, go find someone to open the door so I can be doing the other stuff I am better suited for. Right. But I'm certainly capable of opening a door because the door needs to be opened. Right. I like your, your um, uh, marbles in the tin can sort of rattling around sort of analogy. I find that sometimes public health even though it has its system, operates in a siloed place even within that, right? So within public health, there are silos in there and we don't always necessarily work together as a public health system as effectively as we could and might. But then even as we come outside of that, the systems that people live in, because people don't live in the artificial construct of the doctor's office, right? Go to see your physician and they say, well, how have you been doing with respect to your diet? Oh, perfect. It's been 100% great. I eat three servings of vegetables every day, etc. Well, how about your exercise? Fine, I'm running five miles every single day. All of these things. And then when you leave, you go to McDonald's for lunch, have Haagen-Dazs at two o'clock in the morning because you couldn't sleep and you're getting three hours of sleep a night. All of that stuff is out the window. Because the reality of your life is in a whole bunch of different spaces, systems. From your perspective as somebody who understands systems, how might we do a better job with respect to some of these population health connections that need to be made to different systems? How might we get those different systems talking to each other more effectively such that we would drive a different set of outcomes? Interesting question. And, and uh, reminded of uh, the medical home. Mm. Uh, model when I worked on the Affordable Care Act and I was a big part of the conversation is yeah. to make sure that I don't go to one doc and then a week later I go to a different doc that right. all my stuff is in one place but that right. assumes there's a conversation and the people are both talking and listening and this is I think a huge lesson from soccer and if you anybody who's watched a game knows that, that soccer fields are loud and yeah. it's not just the guys with the drums and the fans you take all that away fields are loud players are constantly giving each other specific actionable information right Right, soccer is a is a constant reminder of our cognitive limits. Fields are big, the ball's happening, ball's moving quickly, things are moving fast. You can't see all of it. I need to know what I need to know in the moment to succeed, right? And so you've got to think, you know, man on closing time, space, overlapping, whatever. Right. In a work context, we it, we can make this work by giving each other, asking for and giving specific advice. Right. We've all been in the meeting where it's a weekly whip around. What are you working on this week, Pierre? Well, I have achieved these five amazing things. Everything's great. And in those meetings, inevitably, everybody talks too much except you, and you don't get to talk enough because you're doing so great. And everybody walks out feeling that way. Those meetings are awful. Another way to run a meeting is to say, Pierre, what's your biggest challenge this week? Right. Okay, now around the table, what do you need from... How can uh, somebody step into the gap, yeah. right? If you've got a public, you're working on a population health event, right? You're going into a community center and you want to bring in mental health people, dietitians, you want to bring in people who can talk about exercise, talk about public transportation options, like all the different pieces. So this sounds like a big deal, Pierre. Um, how can the press team help you do this? Do you need support from digital? 
it sounds like some of the operations people may not have a role in this. Their load is a bit lighter this week. Can they step in and do some logistics for you? Okay. Right. So now you're asking, what's the biggest challenge? How can we help? What's your biggest success? How can we celebrate it? Give me right. a thing I can act on and how I can act on it. Right. And then we're going to move on to the next thing. Then you're not reporting out. You are not telling the rest of us how clever you are. We are helping achieve the greater problem, yeah. and you happen to be in charge of a piece of that problem. Right, right, right. No, and I think that that pain point sort of question, sort of what is it that keeps you up at night, what's your, what's your pain point, is something that um, I've found has been very effective in talking to executives and others about sort of you're in a room together and you're supposed to be talking about something because they're there for a conference, and I'm facilitating the conversation, and... So I generally ask that question, and it's amazing how frequently that creates this, oh, you know, you have that problem too? Well, I actually have the same issue, and here's how we went about dealing with this. And that's another way of getting feedback and input from other people. But the challenge with the table is a challenge that we have sort of in this sort of some of these diversity and inclusion conversations. If I don't send an invitation out to all the people who should be, could and sh could be at the meeting. Let's not say should be. Let's say could be at the meeting. Because should is a function of what, of me, what, who I believe should be there. Could is just a function of this time. Are you available on Wednesday at 1? Um, but if I send the invitation only out to certain people, then I'm only going to get certain inputs because that's all that those certain people can give me. So if I only ask for certain sectors to come, I'm only going to get certain things from that. But if I'm bold enough crazy enough to ask people from other spaces to come in so naturally to ask someone who is press policy um you know media oriented uh, or expert a question about how should we fix the health system or how should we fix health and health outcomes most people would be like well that's not my space but as a systems thinker you're somebody who says you know what yeah here's how you might go about doing it and i think that that's that mentality is something that more folks need to have. Not to say that you're an expert in it, but to be able to say, okay, from a systems thinking perspective, here's how we go about doing it differently. And again, if you think about a soccer field, it's all about what you can't see. One right. of the things I love about the game is it's not about where the ball is, it's about where the ball isn't. Yep. You know, it's about creating space. I play, I tend to play at the back. Uh, I like to play midfield. Yep. I am in my mid-50s. I play at the back. <laughs> So if I try to play midfield, I end up briefly playing forward until I can walk my sorry ass back and I'm playing <laughs> in the back. But part of my job is to tell the players in front of me what they can't see. Right. Right. If they only look at the options that are in front of them or if they can lift their head up in the two or three seconds or one or two seconds, yeah. then they're going to miss the winning opportunity. Right. They're relying on me to say, what am I missing? And then similarly, if I'm getting beaten a lot at the back, which, which happens which a happens lot, sometimes. which okay. happens every now and again, hey. every by, yeah, constantly, um, I'll go to a goalkeeper or someone around me and say, what am I missing? What am I missing? How can I do better? Right. And then when they're giving me feedback, Peter shift left, man on, time. So it's the communication I thank piece. them. Great talk, thanks. Yes, yes, Right, yeah. and so what you need to do in a meeting as a leader is say, what am I missing? Who are we not hearing from? Right. Somebody check with and ask a crazy, crazy question. What's right. the front desk guy think about this? Right. Do you care what the front desk Absolutely. guy thinks about this? Well, the front desk guy has health issues. Absolutely. Where does, where does he live? How does right. he get here? Right. Like, check, like, 
Come on, precisely. Do, do, and you, how do we get to this user and have that get their input on on this? And this doesn't mean it's it's democracy. We have to you know come to consensus around a feel good sense of what it means to be part of our medical home. No, what it means is I need clear, actionable information so I can make the best decision in the moment to get to the next moment. What worked in that moment? That worked really well. What didn't work well? That was a huge mistake. Help me go fix this mistake. Right, right, right. Well, look, so. This is a full service radio broadcasting live from the Adams Morgan, the Adams Morgan Hotel still, the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington D.C. This is Junctional Thinking podcast. We, we're getting we're a couple minutes away from closing out here, but I couldn't let this show end without us making some bold predictions about our favorite English Premier League team, the Arsenal Football Club, coming up this season. We've just signed this guy, Pepe. Ceballos is on loan from Real Madrid, doing did a very nice job last week against Burnley. You know, got Aubameyang and Lacazette up front. You know, it seems as if Morial may get some sense this year. Um, <laughs> David Luiz, you know, Socrates. We've got, you know... I think, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic. How are you feeling? Um, I, think, I think those good signings um, combined with, with Chelsea's transfer ban oh, and, yes. and Man yes. U's what on earth are you thinking approach to the transfer market. Um, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling pretty good. It was a good couple of wins. I'm glad we're going to be getting holding back. Yes. Um, I, I feel like... Uh, Is Hector coming back anytime soon? Bellerin? I don't know. I don't, don't know, know about him. I think so. We need a couple... We need both of them and there's this guy named Jesus I think that we need for Liverpool game coming up. Is that what he's doing? Like Jesus as in the <laughs> right, right. City guy. The, the real Jesus. The, the real we one. Need well, him. The, I think the... Um, uh, Tierney? Tierney? The, the Scott. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear really good things about yes, him. Yes, yes, um, yes. He's coming back from surgery. I don't know. I... I'm a fan of, of Atleta Bilbao, so I'm high on Emory because of, you know, the Basque by the Association, yes, yes. OPA Athletic. So I, that said, I'm, I'm an Arsenal fan, a Red Sox fan, a DC United fan, and a Democrat. So I'm used to, to false hopes being crushed in the last moment. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. I don't know. I'm optimistic. I'm, I, well, top four is what I'll say. Top four, and, but I don't, I think, oh, it's going to be tight. It's going to be very tight, and I think that we have a reasonable chance. If we can go into the Christmas break, well, if we don't, that's where we, that's where we tend to. That January, February tends to be horrible for us. Well, because if you think your city is going to walk away with it. Yeah, City um, and Liverpool, the way, the, the yeah. way that they're looking. Yeah. But I think City, is, it's, they've just got so much talent, and they're so well coached. Right. Wow, they're good, which means realistically it's third, fourth, fifth. And, and I feel like Spurs are off to a weak start. I, I, their Good. best days are behind them, I think. Good. Um, I think fourth is a reasonable... Uh, yeah. So we'll go with that. Okay. We'll go with that. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> there we are. <laughs> on that note, Peter, thank you so much for joining me today on the show. Appreciate Thanks for you. having me. Once again, uh, you've been listening to the, the sage advice and words of uh, Peter Loge, author of Soccer, Thinking for Management Success. 
um, and that is available on um, on Amazon. You can pick a copy of that up ASAP. Uh, you've been listening to Junctional Thinking, the podcast on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. This is the end of season one for me. Thank you very much for all of your support of the show and uh, your listening in has uh, and your feedback has all been very much appreciated. Looking forward to the next part of this adventure. And on that note, I'd bid you adieu. Go Gunners, and I'll see you next season. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at fullserviceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening. <laughs>